0: Welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. Uh, You are listening to episode 125 on this July 27th, 2023. Uh, And this is the last episode before the summer break. We will be back on August 31st. Uh, getting a bit of a holiday in, but before we go, uh, I wanted to bring up uh, one topic with uh, your favorite co-host, Yalasowski, uh, who joins us here, Yal also uh, um, uh, hosting Consumer Choice Radio, weekly podcast and radio show, um, and uh, he's joining us today to talk a bit about car mobility. Uh, Jarl, uh, you drive a car, right, in Vienna?
1: I indeed drive a car, and I've driven cars ever since I was 15 years old, and I could with my learner's permit.
0: Wow. Okay, so this was in the in the U.S. I assume.
1: Yes, that was uh, mostly U.S., but um, you know, I'm driving now in Europe as well.
0: Yeah, and uh, and so you live in Vienna, and so what's the situation been in Vienna? Because you know, we've had a lot of conversations in in Europe, all over the place. The big cities are not happy about uh, cars uh, polluting. Um, the the cities and have made special rules in Amsterdam where I spend a lot of time you cannot enter if you have an old diesel engine um, and and overall it seems that using your car in major metropolitan cities in, in Europe is just not what it used to be and so the question is essentially what um, what's your take on this uh, uh, wh- where where's car mobility going and, and and what is sort of being done where you live to you know, it disincentivize people from using their cars.
1: Yeah, I think in Vienna, at least, it's been very similar to other European capitals. There have been efforts to cap or reduce the amount of dependence that we have on cars. And you know, this has been for a number of reasons. Some of it is environmental. Um, some of it has just been with city planning generally. You know, there are certain streets that they've turned into pedestrian areas or things that they've restricted a bit to cars and Uh, you've had you know ability to perhaps direct traffic in a certain way Uh, this was a bit more clear in political shenanigans shall we say uh, a lot with the more the center-right or the far-right parties they were very interested in you know sort of trying to propel politics that thought about car owners and drivers and it was a very unique sort of political constituency drivers Uh, It is a big deal in the city. It's a bigger deal in the other cities as well. So I'm thinking of Graz, I'm thinking of Linz, uh, some of these other places. It has been a big deal. You know, what does it mean right now in this 2023 in terms of mobility? It has been reduced. You do have less options. You're not able to hit the downtown. I'm not necessarily opposed to making areas pedestrian areas. I think this is uh, somewhat been interesting or good and you still have a good amount of shops it will just depend if you have a trade-off if you have the ability to have good public transportation uh, which some cities much like Vienna they, they do have uh, but it is very true they've made it more difficult to drive to get around parking drop off um, and I think it has less to do with the cars that they allow in and much more to do with the parking Um, At least I've seen in Vienna and many other places, they heavily restrict who can park. Uh, Normally, you need to have a parking pass from your particular district or area. And oftentimes, you can only stay standing um, your car only for 15 or 30 minutes. So there's a a lot of those different things. Again, both environmental and then also for making uh, streets a lot more pedestrian friendly.
0: Do you think that there is sort of a grander political ideology here that just rejects the notion of individual mobility it's like the convenience of the car that we've gotten used to it's not just about sort of the pollution aspect of the car or the congestion it's really about this idea of this flexibility of the car that you can go anywhere at any time that I feel that some people just see an and um and an it like an intrinsic evil with that level of comfort that we've gotten used to and that we shouldn't be used to anymore. Do you see it that way as well?
1: I think I do. And we saw, it became very clear with COVID and many of the restrictions that were put on uh, people and the people who were the luckiest were the ones who, you know, in a big city, when things were locked down, you had access to a car and you could get out, you could drive, you could perhaps do a road trip to a place where it was a bit more open. Uh, I definitely did that. I was, um, very, very responsible, obviously. But you do see that there's this ideology. And, you know, it really will depend. I think this is something that's present in every single country, not just European, but the urban versus rural divide. In most of the rural and suburb parts, people depend on cars. If you're in the city, you might not think you depend on cars, but you do. You depend on trucks to bring in food, to bring in supplies. We all depend on these various types of transportation. It's just about that personal level of transportation, and I, I think it's true. I mean, look, I'm uh, very biased here. I'm someone whose identity was very much tied to driving and owning a car. You know, growing up in uh, sort of suburban rural North Carolina, it's something that's very natural, and you do see that in some European cities where you do have a lot more mobility because people have cars. Um, it is something that is big in, let's say the Republic of Georgia or Serbia, car ownership is tied to people's identities and it's sort of a level of freedom that people have to transfer you know, people, goods, or just drive themselves from point A to point B. It gives you a lot more options as a consumer, as a driver, because it means you can go to a store across town or you can go to a store that might be in another town. If you happen to have terrible laws or regulations on products that you love, you can drive and cross a border. And that is a, a huge measurement of freedom that I think a lot of people have taken for granted in, in sort of this age.
0: When we talk about the substitutes um, that people should use, you know, the, the whole conversation about public transport, I think that to me it should come with a lot of preconditions as to as to the quality of that public transport. And that is not just how long it will go but also you know how uh, you know how much it costs and also how safe it is uh i've I've had on, on on multiple occasions to do with you know just you know metro stations that didn't feel particularly safe and um and I only want to imagine, you know, it's like you know, I'm 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 a young man, right? So I can only just imagine if you if you if you're an older woman, for instance, trying to use this public transport network, it's it's uh, it's certainly not pleasant most of the time. Um, and Vienna might not be necessarily one of those cities that experiences this, de- depending on, I, I guess, the area you're in. Uh, but I think very often just those preconditions are not met. I remember that. You know, I, I talked about this study a couple of months ago on the podcast where even in the Netherlands, the car remains the most efficient way of getting around. Um, I, I suppose that's not true in downtown Amsterdam, but, you know, that's not where most people live. Um, and, and I just I just don't see those conditions being met for people to have a genuine alternative. And I'm not even sure there is a genuine alternative. I think we've, you know, we've gotten something good here with a car um, and maybe the shape of that will change and you know maybe there's ways of organizing parking in a different way and maybe there's a bigger space for the sharing economy type cars that we currently have but i just i I just i just really don't see um how like a public transport system that is like completely um you know i mean in many cities just not accessible i remember that there was a there was a french Talk show debate morning show, where one of the guys uh, who was invited said, uh, "Look, I mean, uh, why would you why would you use a car if you can just go three metro stops?" Uh, and then the host is asking, "He's like, how did you get here this morning?" "Oh, I came here by taxi." Uh, and so I think this is sort of like a, a divide where the people arguing for it themselves realize that just you know the alternatives are not here.
1: Yeah, and there's something in academic literature about transportation that's called the last mile problem. And it's something that a lot of companies have aimed to fix. That's why we've seen the growth of e-scooters. You have a lot of bicycles that people can rent it is, yeah, you can take a, you know, a train or you can take a metro to go from point A to point B, but you still have that last mile or last kilometer, so it were, uh, to figure out how you get there. And oftentimes in some cities, we, we don't really have that option. In most places, you actually need a car. And europe is a bit interesting because you've had a lot of the road infrastructure or pathway infrastructure that was in place before cars were really invented or became very popular whereas in the us you know you have suburbs that have been built around the interstate and the ability to take cars and to some it's you know a huge chagrin (laughs) how dare those americans drive around all the time you know oftentimes it's hey look i have the freedom you know within 30 minutes to go to x and y place And in many European situations, if you're just focusing on bus routes or the metro line, your options are going to be much fewer. I think it's always a trade-off. I mean, I'm a proud user of public transportation. I think it's great and awesome and serves a great purpose and sometimes it's very quick. Uh, But I also do own a car, but I also own a bicycle and I use scooters and I use everything. I think that's the greatest thing about uh, being a consumer with the freedom to choose is that I can use any of these depending on the situation. If I'm going into downtown and I happen to see it's 5 p.m i know there's going to be a lot of traffic i might take you know public transportation but if it's saturday morning and i just need to grab something quick then i'll I'll drive the car and people might have you know a judgment on my decision but i pay for that i pay for it with incredibly high fuel taxes and if i drive too much i pay the penalty so it were so it's always about trade-offs and obviously if you're talking about infrastructure that's one conversation. But if we're talking about people's abilities to get from point A to point B, whether it be work or things they need to buy, uh, absolutely you should be able to do that.
0: Yeah, I think, I think very often we're just not aware of the, the different needs that people have. I mean, sometimes you see inside the life of somebody who has like a specific need to use a car. I mean, just for the fact of like, you know, somebody works an early shift who can't just get in and public transport. It's like, you know, very often we're in our bubble of people who have like very similar type schedules. Um, but then we don't realize you know, the, 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 the large scale needs uh, of people in terms of transportation. Um, and you mentioned fuel taxes there. Well, uh, some people would actually argue that the fuel taxes are not high enough, or at least petrol is not expensive enough. And that brings me sort of to the uh, the just stop oil people, of which there were some in Vienna as well, uh, if I saw that correctly. Have you been stuck in traffic because of uh, people blocking the road?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I was on my way to pollute a lot more by getting on an airplane. And um, they, halted <laughs> they halted my journey. They halted my journey. They're on all the major bridges uh, in Vienna. I think this was about in, um, I think it was in May. Every single bridge that you have over Vienna, and they're very important because those bridges you need to get to the airport, uh, you need to get to the other part of town, uh, and they blocked them all. And this was during Monday morning commute, the most inopportune time, and many people were frustrated. I think the police, from what I understood, they handled it very professionally. They were very quick to act, very quickly got all of the protesters over into one lane so they at least could get traffic and then figured out a way that they could remove them later. And these people have to understand, we get it, activism is important in a vibrant democracy. But the second that you inconvenience others, you're going to have to pay for the consequences, whether they be private consequences of people yelling at you or dragging you out of the road or public consequences of fines of um, any kind of criminal charges. You know, this stuff, yes, there's a lot of things that we can consider good or bad behavior when it comes to activism. And there are many things that we might protest, Bill, that people would be very much against. And there are going to be consequences for that either way. I think with this, the the amount of convenience or just (laughs) disruption you know, that you're causing upon a large group of people, you know, you're, you're causing the complete opposite. People are not listening to this. And then they're somehow more sympathetic. People become enraged because you're actually stopping them from, you're stopping, they're stopping you from getting to the doctor, from getting to your job, where you don't have the flexibility to work from home. You have to punch in for your shift at 9am. And if you're late, well, you could lose work. You could be fired.
0: I think I think it's right what you say about sort of the inconveniencing and sort of the the political methods here. And if you know for other people were to get inspired and block the roads for you know completely different uh, methods, I, I remember this is a this is a while back. I tweeted something about Greta. Uh, it was a message to to to, to uh, fellow journalists in which I said uh, if Greta was called Bjorn and Bjorn was sixteen and protested against uh, immigration to Europe. Uh, would we as journalists go out and interview eight-year-olds and say that it's so good that they're standing up for their, for their right to be heard? Um, and most probably not. And and I think and I think this is also w- where it goes with this. If there was sort of like a, a right-wing group blocking the roads to to protest, um, I don't know, the Muslim immigration. I think I think the reaction would be quite different. I think so. We're not dealing with like equal means here, uh, an equal approach to to that debate. Um, and I I just also don't see sort of like what the strategy is because, well, it's, if you outrage the people on the street, which is like most of what you're getting, I mean, you're getting you're getting that. I mean, they did try throwing paint at or like gluing themselves to paintings in museums, and you know people were outraged at that, but nobody was like significantly inconvenienced. I mean, I don't go to the Van Gogh Museum very often. Uh, If I was there, I mean, it would be a bit of a bummer, but I would go and see another painting or just enjoy the show. I think this is now sort of the the desperation for attention. And it worries me because this has been done so much now. Uh, So many people have now glued themselves to the road that in order to gather attention in sort of the news media cycle, I fear that in the coming months, they'll have to get more extreme because, yeah, we've seen it, you know, and, and and so, you know, for you to actually get attention, you might have to do something more extreme that will be even more unsafe.
1: Yeah, and I, I think, again, there's always a reason to protest. There are bad things that are happening in every government, everywhere, and we can question those aims. And there's a lot of people who might be in media who might be sympathetic to the causes of some of those protesters. Uh, but it's, again, about the level of inconvenience I think we can logically, Bill, probably debate and discuss some of these issues with some of the just-stop-oil protesters. But, you know, realistically, we have to look at what are they doing and what are the consequences? Because if you're actually harming mostly blue-collar workers who are on their way to their work or to a doctor's appointment, um, you're really curbing their freedom. You're really stopping their ability to, you know, to work, to go go to whatever office or appointment they might have. And they're not going to be in line with whatever cause that you're spilling. I think they kind of like the idea that there's no way that if you're a driver and you see someone stopped, you know, if you're actually going to drive, you're going to kill somebody, you're going to get charged. And that's happened in in many different cities where this has happened. Uh, There's just got to be some forcefulness on, on the part of the people as well, you know, to understand that this is not good, not appropriate. And people might agree, uh, the video that came out recently was of the, the woman, I, I don't remember if it was in London or in Vancouver, but she was trying to get to the hospital with her young toddler, and they're yelling at her, but she's driving an electric car. I thought that was the whole point. <laughs> so you have all of these, these restrictions they'll do, and they're saying, well, we're inconveniencing everyone so they understand our point. That's all well and good, but you're really liable to piss a lot more people off meaning less people are going to hear your message. We can debate it logically. Just don't make it so that you're stopping my commute and stopping me from earning money.
0: And on top of that, I mean, like, I, I've actually listened to the argument that they were making previously before, you know, they sort of reached the conclusion that, oh, nobody's heard us. You know, the policy that that we're suggesting has not been accepted. Thus, we are blocking the roads. But I mean, anyone who was listening to them before that, I mean, the, I mean it, by the way, they shifted from just stop oil, meaning like every like just get rid of all oil, to, um, at least in the UK, the argument being there should be no licenses to new drilling. Um, and there should be no more deals for import with new countries, which, you know, that, that like, somebody would have to run the numbers on what that would actually do to the price of oil in sort of like to do on, on petrol, let's say, uh, in, in your local petrol station. Uh, because that has a significant inflationary aspect on people's like needs. And I mean, it's one of those things. It's a bit like, you know, saying, oh, we're going to tax all the flights, but then, you know, the substitutes are really bad. Uh, I just saw, I just saw a, a Twitter thread or we could, just, I guess it was supposed to call it X thread now on, uh, on, on, on European sleeper trains. And the experience looks horrible to me. And if that is sort of the, if that is the alternative that is so unusable, that, that people will still be compelled to 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 use the existing methods in in this case the car and, and you're know, getting petrol at just a higher price then all you did was just make people pay more it's like it's not like you offered them a solution if you wanted to be genuinely um supportive of your own cause you'd become an entrepreneur and i don't know find the way for those train or like build the algorithm that would make the Deutsche Bahn not be as late anymore because I think a lot of people are just put off by you know the slight inconveniences even of of you know my train is not arriving and I have a platform change with my suitcase like it's just it's not made to be to 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 be very useful yeah you know, I'm, I'm traveling to to Korea this week and I'll I'll see it for myself but I mean the the in many Asian countries the train networks are just like you could you could you could set your your own watch to the time of the arrival of the train it just functions really well and i mean the approach would rather be so like how can we get to that stage where it's like you know where our trains are running like the swiss trains and we can just really rely on these systems and there is something in place for the people who have like heavy bags or whatever i mean this is it, it they're not working out a solution it's just being against something which is very similar to how the fight is for future people started I remember that you know Greta Thunberg was always saying like I'm not here to make policy I'm just arguing against something um and you know this is why you're not being heard I mean this is I guess this is why you've reached the conclusion that you know you need to sit in the street and glue yourself to the to 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 the pavement of the road um because you weren't making very good policy proposals in the first place like a lot of these things are very complicated and the reason that there is in their eyes in inse- inse- in insufficient action is also because there aren't any easy solutions. And yes, to one extent the legislative cycle of five years where people try and get re-elected has prevented some more um decisive action on some of these things, maybe. Uh, or like, you know, bigger visions. Um but I mean it's 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 you know and many of the environmentalists haven't really helped. And you know I remember in the UK When they tried to build a train connection, a high speed train connection between London and Birmingham, like HS2, like all the environmentalists were against that too, because, you know, it cut down a couple of trees here and there. It's like, it seems that ultimately the solution is not just that we should stop oil, but we should also stop moving. Um, And I think that transpired quite a bit during COVID, that the ultimate goal is actually degrowth and reduction of choice and, 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 and use of resources, not an alternative that works better.
1: Oh, wow. Now we get to talk about their aims. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You bring up a lot of different points, Bill. Great rant. Uh, I mean, to add to this, why is it that these young people, mostly young people, have the time and the energy and the resources to be able to stop traffic and glue themselves? Well, usually it's because society has grown to a point to where we've offered prosperity to people. We use fossil fuels to allow universities to run businesses to run, people to get goods cheaply to their door, and that affords them a new level of wealth that opens up our mind and frees our time for activism, for this type of activism. So it's really thanks to fossil fuels that we do have all this time and energy to discuss these issues. If you're, you know, in a, in a very poor sub-Saharan country, you know, you don't have the ability to just go out and protest these kind of things because there just isn't that much wealth. There's not the ability to make enough income to sustain you missing work for, you know, more than two or three hours. And the amount of, of just dependence that most of our societies have right now, generally on fossil fuels, but, you know, also electricity and everything else um, is massive. And everything that these protesters are wearing or in some way made from petroleum, there's always a petroleum aspect to their paint or their glue, which is always very hilarious as a comparison. Uh, But then also thinking about, you know, what would our lives be like if we did not have oil, if we did not have fossil fuels that we could use? Well, we'd have a lot less supplies fewer supplies that would be coming to our door Uh, the jobs would be less plentiful we definitely would have less things to choose from generally we would be much poorer it'd be very difficult to have heating in our homes during the winter or cooling in our homes during the summer if we have that but you know this is not their their larger point they're not thinking about that at the granular level they just want a policy change which again I believe i'm I'm very sympathetic to that, wanting policy change. Bill and I, we fight for policy changes every day. We just have different tactics and ones that don't piss off um, the entire morning commute. So just a bit different.
0: Ah, oh, just a little bit different, you know, but even though even though if there was somebody uh, that I would like to glue myself next to on the road and get yelled at it would be you yell for sure.
1: Well, I love that bill, and we'd use the best petroleum glue, uh, petroleum derived glue product ever. So we would be stuck there for a long time, my friend.
0: Uh, Absolutely, I guess there's no nuclear powered uh, uh, glue just yet. Um, I, I, you know, if if they were to run in elections, they they wouldn't do very well. I mean, like I've seen like they they used to be the old school type of doing this type of thing. I remember in 2002, I was like uh, like seven years old, but I remember this uh, because. The, uh, uh, so Greenpeace activists uh, were looking for a country where they could block access to a petrol station of one specific brand for the entire country. Now, of course, uh, you do need a lot of activists to do that, to block every single pump at one brand of petrol station for an entire country. So they ended up coming to Luxembourg because you know, well it's country small enough to actually make that happen and you had these 15 16 17 year olds that chained themselves to uh, the petrol pumps and they had these uh, they had these stickers they went to uh, they went to Esso or ExxonMobil uh, petrol stations um, and Uh, It didn't go very well for them. Um, uh, Police got involved. And, you know, back in 2002, the conversation on, you know, um, uh, sort of, you know, what type of activism is allowed and how softly they should be approached was not quite there yet. Um, And what people also did is like they really they they, they stopped their donations to Greenpeace like people who previously donated to Greenpeace because they were under the impression that they were saving the polar bears uh, now were like, well, what's this? Like, yeah, I'm not on board with that. I think now and you know we've seen that also in the reporting like the just stop oil people that have like these very rich donors they're not subject to that uh that type of scrutiny anymore and they're not willing to put themselves out for scrutiny because they actually very rarely uh debate their issues um it's just about getting the publicity there's no policy proposal um it's, it's all very opaque how it how it functions and there's no genuine punishment for this. Like, I just don't understand how we've let them like get away uh, with so much of this. Like, I think if you if you have um, a government grant to attend university, uh, and then you glue yourself to the road, you should lose that. Like, I think there should be like genuine consequences for people who do this type of thing. Because, and that's what I was mentioning earlier. If there was any other like less less popular political like ideology doing that for their aims, there would be severe consequences. And we just, we, you know, there's, there's deux poids and deux mesures, uh, as, as the French say, like two two weights and two measurements
1: uh, that we apply well, here. Well, very, qu- very yeah. quickly, Bill, we saw that with the Canadian trucker protests. Right. Which, while not 100% similar, did include the shutting down of various bridges and ports and camping out in downtown, And those measures were not left with, you know, no consequences. Uh, You know, essentially the military was called, the Emergencies Act in Canada was invoked. They had the the trucks were actually impounded by the government. The government empowered themselves to shut down accounts, financial accounts of people who happened to be there. So we kind of see what happens when it's a, a protest not related to the climate and the government is willing to use... Um, I would call them very authoritarian measures in order to stop it. So again, why do we not have the, the same reaction? I think there's, there's a lot of sensitivity to it. Uh, right now we have the travel months. You know, you mentioned you're traveling very soon. Who knows what will happen on your route. Uh, that's me knocking on wood for you, Bill. But you have, you know, all of these people who are trying to move. They finally have their vacations. You know, they've been working all year to get it and to have some punk sit there on the road, stop it so that you can't make your flight, you miss the connection, who knows whatever it is, Um, you know that's pretty devastating. And once that's over, you're not going to feel as if you want to join the picket line with these guys. Uh, You're going to do everything you can to oppose them, whether that be in withholding your uh, funding, if you happen to be an environmental uh, activist person or donating to them, or uh, you're going to oppose them at all costs. So I I think we can can debate them on policy, but with these tactics, it's just next level. And I think we have to make more of the case, the moral case, for things like using fossil fuels. And it is true, like you mentioned, nuclear. You know, if we are able to integrate this into our economies and into our energy mix, uh, all the better. Uh, Unfortunately, the many green groups that are involved in some of these also oppose things like sustainable nuclear. So then you have to ask bigger questions about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, clearly none of them have actually read the IPCC reports that, you know, call for a healthy... um... A mix between different energy sources and none of them say just stop oil because that's just silly um and and, and so sort of we've elevated them by by giving them like quite a bit of a platform um and in, in in a very positive sense after all to 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 talk about sort of their cause it's like very rarely would you have somebody doing something like that um and then also read out their political manifesto right after it like you would sort of always preface it was like look this is all the all the all the chaos and destruction that these ideologues were trying to impose um uh for their for their for their radical goals and here it's sort of like well just stop oil has just been not or not been heard by the government therefore they say they feel compelled to glue themselves to the right it's like it's a very different like sort of we inverted sort of the sort of the 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 the, the, the causal effect and and uh and 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 just approach this from a you know as, as you've said it's like which is just a different measurement and i think i i think like I hope this goes away. Um, I'm warning all of them: don't fuck with my holidays. I'm going away now, and uh, I don't want to. I don't want to get stuck in an airport because somebody glued themselves to the wheels of a, of an Airbus plane or whatever. Um, really, not really not into that. Um, worked enough during the year. I do want to have my few days off where I can actually enjoy myself. Uh, and a lot of people feel that way as well. Any conclusion here, Yael, on the podcast?
1: That's a message, folks: don't with Bill's journey. It's just that I can't bleep it, and I don't think I should have to.
0: Uh, in any case, uh, thank you all for joining me on this ranting here uh, before the summer break on the Consumer Podcast. We will be back on August thirty first uh, uh, this year to uh, to to give you more episodes. I hope you're enjoying. Uh, you've been enjoying all the previous episodes uh, in those three weeks that we are off. Uh, you can. Uh, Listen to all of them again. They're all available on all your pod, favorite podcast uh, platforms. Uh, please uh, do uh, recommend this uh, to, to friends and family. Uh, give us a five star review uh, uh, if, if that's available on, on the platform you're using right now. And I'll see you uh, when I'm back. Thanks, y'all, and uh, cheers. You have to learn.